We are wrapping up the We Are Family series. So at the, after today, you'll never see that slide again. What a shame. We're all sad now, aren't we? We're wrapping this up. Um, and I need to tell you a couple things right up front. One, um, I've been excited about this morning and I've not looked forward to this morning. And here's, here's, here's why. I hate when it feels like a sales job. And I'm not a good salesman, okay? That's why I'm not a salesperson, because our family would be starving, right? Um, and so I don't want you to feel like we're selling the gathering to you this morning. That's not what this is about at all. I, I also feel, I always feel a lot of pressure, not from you, but from me, to want to answer every possible question that anybody could ever possibly have about the gathering. And it's just like, I can't. There's just no way. So you've got to know right up front that this morning what's going to happen is you're going to leave with a much better understanding of our church. Okay? Like, I think I already, I think I already understand your church. Well, it'll be even better. But what's not going to happen is you're not going to walk out of here going, yeah, he checked off every box that I had. It's just not possible. Okay? So if we're going into it with that kind of an expectation, you're going to be disappointed. Um, I have prayed that you would leave feeling clearly the leading of the Holy Spirit about where you want to be planted, okay? Last week, we talked about being planted. We talked about how um, membership here at the gathering is how we, that's how we describe it. Other churches will say, hey, you want, you want to join and be a member? And here we'll say, hey, you want, be, you want to be planted? So like, you're all sitting there going, so do you have some garden in the back? I mean, what does that mean? going to put me in a garden and make me grow you know planted what's that mean we talked last week about that does God does God even want you to be planted and the answer was yes yes and why does God want us to be planted so we can smoke weed no no that's not it at all that's not it okay just making sure we're not in Colorado what are we talking about right he wants us to be planted so that we can grow right? So that we can grow. This morning, we're going to talk about where, where does God want us to be planted? Does that matter at all? And if he does, if where we're planted matters, what kind of soil are you going to find here at the gathering? So here's the first thing on your sheet. It says, what you know if you're a real estate agent, right? Location, location, location. Um, Listen, we're not going to spend a lot of time here because this is a no-brainer. But location matters. If you ever try to sell a house or buy a house, you know that location matters. In one parable, Jesus showed us this. You can, either, you can turn it if you want to, or you can jot it down. It's Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. He tells a, a, a parable about a, a man, a farmer who goes out and he's throwing seed out. And the seed lands in four possible places. And here they are. Real quick, Matthew 13. You can go back and read it. They land in either in hard soil, in rocky soil, in thorny soil, or in good soil. So there's four types of soil that that seed can land in. Here's what I noticed as I read that. The only thing that changes in that parable is what? The soil. Like the farmer's the same. The seed is the same. The wind is the same. The birds that fly around are the same. Everything's the same except for the soil. It matters not just what we plant, it matters where we plant. And it's so crucial that we're planted in the right kind of soil. So right away, here's what you're saying. 
I totally agree, Paul. I'm all, I'm all over that. I believe it. And so what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start planting myself every Sunday morning on the, on the couch in front of my TV. And I'm going to watch the best preacher on TV that I can possibly find. And, and you just need to hear me say this to you. As your pastor, as an introvert who sometimes get freaked out by people, I'm all with you. That would be fantastic. If we could just plant ourselves on a couch in front of a TV, we would never have to hear a bad message because you know they're only going to play the best stuff. You would never hear a bad worship set because you know they've edited out all the mistakes. You would never really have to give anything because they're going to put a number up there, but you don't have to call it. And you can wear your underwear without clothes over it. You can dig in your belly button during church. Although I've got to tell you, I've seen some of you do that here, so you know, it may not be that different. But here's, here's what you understand, okay? If that's what we do, if that's what we do, we have to cut out about 145 verses in the Bible. Because those 145 verses in the Bible contain 59 commands that we call the one another commands. Things like this. I'll just throw a bunch of verses out. You can jump down. John 13, 35, love one another. Romans 12, 10, honor one another. Romans 15, 7, accept one another. You're still back on John. I get it. Just hang with me. Romans 16, 16, greet one another. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty three. wait for one another. Galatians 5, 13, serve one another. Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another. See, these, these are relational commands, aren't they? So they have to be lived out in the context of relationships. So if, you, um, if we plant ourselves on a couch and we, we just get fed, and you will grow because you'll get fed. There's, there's growth that's going to take place. That's, that's being planted. Yes, absolutely. But if we do that, guess what's never going to happen? That preacher is never going to tick you off. And, you're, and even if he did, you don't, have to, you don't have to deal with that. What are you going to do? Change channels, right? You, you, you never have to. You can say, oh, I'll forgive people, but you never have to practice it because you're never around anybody that you have to forgive. These are relational commands. They've got to be worked out in the context of relationships. Proverbs 27, 17, we'll mention that one a couple times today. It says that iron sharpens iron. So it's this friction that makes us better. So much so that in Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 36, Jesus said this. He said, if you love the people who love you, it is of no credit to you. Now, we get no credit, right? I tried to buy a car. I don't have any credit. <laughs> like, what does that mean? No value worthless can't trust you we can't loan you money because we don't know if you'll pay it back that's not a good sign right and jesus says if you only love the people that love you if you're only around people that are like you never rub you the wrong way then your love is of no value it's of you have no credit from that it's worthless ironically he was talking to church people he was talking to the religious leaders of his day that's how much God values relationship. So location is not just planted on a couch at a distance watching. Location is planted together. So 
This is why the best soil, the best soil for lasting spiritual growth will always be the local family of God. In this We Are Family series, we've talked about the large family of God, which is this worldwide and when you, listen, when you turn on the TV and you watch a, a pastor and you get fed by that, like on my day off, I'll, I'll podcast some guys and I'll listen to them. And I'm not at all saying that you can't do that and grow because I do. I'm like, when you should be home and I'm like, oh, you got to hear this, right? This guy's amazing. He just said this. It just really lit something up inside me. That's good. That's part of being, part of being the large family of God. But then I, I can't forgive, serve, honor that guy. I'm not around him. But I'm around you. So you've got the large family of God, and we're planted in that, and we absolutely can feed off of other people and grow. But then the soil of the local family of God, that's the best place for growth. You feel me? Well, I'd rather not. Number two. Number two. And here, here's why, here's why we're, number two is going to matter so much. Because there's about 150 churches in our county. And all those churches have soil, okay? What I mean is they all have a DNA, they all have a culture, they've all got, like, if you join that church, if you plant in, your, in that church, you, we're planting into something, okay? And, and that's going to affect who we are. And every church in our county, every church in our world has soil. So it's important what soil we plant ourselves in. Because as you'll see with, with the big idea, where we put our roots will help determine our fruit. It's huge. Have you ever been around cranky people? Do you end up getting happier? Don't you get crankier? Yeah. If I hear you talk long enough, I can probably tell you what you watch on TV. Right? Because it just affects us. So where you plant is huge. And, and I'm not going to say... That Well, I am going to say that this is the best soil. But, you know, the important thing is not that after today you go, oh, yeah, you sold me on the gathering. The important thing for me is that you recognize that where you're planted makes all the difference in the world. We hope that you say yes at the gathering. So here's number two. Number two is um, why we do what we do the way that we do it. Um, this is kind of like the Discover the Gathering that Wendy does the first Sunday of every month. Um, we're going to just blitz through this, okay? So if you're a note taker, just take tons of notes, all right? And then we'll put them all online, although not right now. If you do that QR code, you already got told that you had an error because it's not up yet. But we'll put it up this afternoon, okay? Why we do what we do the way we do it. Here's our mission at the gathering. Our mission at the gathering is to live near God in order to be, to be sent to those far from Him. We want to live near God in order to be sent to those far from Him. So if we boil that down to six words, you hear these a lot, it means that we are near God, near man, making disciples. If you boil that down to one word, it would be near. Like, I thought it was supposed to be Jesus. Well, it is Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus is the epitome of near, isn't He? Jesus coming to earth to rescue us from our sin is the epitome of God being at a distance going, well, I could just leave them on their own. But instead, I'm going to go near them so that they can be saved. Jesus is all about being near. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, you can shout that down. I think it starts at verse 11. Paul writes about reconciliation, which is a really big word. And all he says is that Jesus reconciled us back to God. And rec don't think banking reconciliation right now. Just think relational. We were far from God, and Jesus came and reconciled us back to God, which is great, right? 
How many of you are reconciled to God? I think I am. I'm not really sure. It just means you're saved. It means you're following Jesus. And that's awesome. But then what did Paul say after that? He said, and not only that, but now he has made us ministers of reconciliation. So we're all about near. Getting people near God, near one another, reconciling that relationship. So if you, if you just boil our entire church down to one word, what is the gathering about? Near. Now say that to your server at the restaurant today. So I heard you go to the gathering. I've heard really great things about it. Like y'all like orange and stuff. What's it all about? Near. What does that mean? I don't know. Just something the pastor said. Here's what it means. And these all start with N-E-A-R, okay? So they're going to spell near. See what I did there? Here we go. It means that we're necessary. If you plant yourself in the soil of the gathering, you're going to find that we believe that we should be necessary. Here's what I mean by that. We don't want to be a church that is not seen as necessary in our city. We don't want to be a church full of believers who are seen as not necessary in their city. I love this question. If our church shut down and moved, would our city miss us? How many churches in our area, if they just shut their doors and ceased to exist, would the city, not the people that go to that church, but would the city around that church, the neighborhood around that church go, God, I wish they were still here. If, the, if they can't say that, then that church is unnecessary. We don't want to be that. We want to be necessary. We want to sow that soil, to so impact you. And I'm convicted by that, okay, by this, what I'm about to say. I'm not saying it's because I'm perfect. I'm just saying it's because of a value that we have. But we don't live it out perfectly at all. But we want that soil to so impact you as you're rooted here that you would be the kind of neighbor in your neighborhood that if you moved, your neighbors would miss you. Because we want you to be light in darkness. We want your neighbors who you drive them crazy, right? Like every time you have a conversation, you mention Jesus. And they're just like, Ugh, I hate that, but I love that. I hate that, but I love that. I hate that, but I'm going to call them because I need something. We want your neighbors to miss you if you moved away. We want to be necessary. Now, in order for us to be necessary... This is a great statement. We think that there are three things that are necessary in order for us to be necessary, okay? So here they are. These are three things that you, if you're planted here, you will always hear us talk about these three things. There's probably more, but these three for sure. These are non-negotiables. Here's number one, the gospel. You don't have to turn to it, but in John chapter 3, you know John 3, 16, right? It says, for God so, yeah, we know that one. Like, for God so loved the world, then he right? We know that verse, but right before, in the context of that verse, here's what, here's what Jesus was talking about. He made this statement. He said, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, and for that to make sense, you've got to go way back to the Old Testament. And here's what was happening. People got sick. The people, people got in sin, and they were dying, and they were sick. And so God said, hey, take some bronze, make a snake, a serpent, and then hold up that bronze, the bronze serpent on that stick, like chicken on a stick, right? Hold that up. And then when people look to it, they'll be healed, which ironically is, that's the medical symbol, right? You know that. That's where it comes from. So when they would hold it up and people would look at that symbol, that serpent, they would be healed. And so Jesus says this, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so the Son of Man, that's Jesus, right, must, everybody say must, must, must be lifted up on the cross. 
And then he went on to say, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Man, the gospel is non-negotiable. You come to the gathering, you plant here, you're planting yourself in a church that is not going to self-help you to death. You're planting in a church that believes this, left to ourselves, we got no shot. I don't, I don't care how good you think you are, how good I think I am. If we're on our own and we think we can make things better apart from Jesus, we, we have no shot. I will not preach to you from a story that I got out of Newsweek magazine. We will preach to you from the Bible, from the gospel. It's necessary. He must be lifted up. So in our services, we must lift up Jesus, which means, and sometimes it's hard to do, which means that no matter what we preach about, no matter what passage we come to in the Bible, at some point in that service, we've got to bring that back to Jesus. We've got to bring that back to the gospel, which is man was far from God. God sent Jesus. He came near to us. He was lifted up on the cross so that we could look at him and be saved. We have to say that stuff every single week. When we get done today, you'll hear me say, bow your head and close your eyes. And we will talk through that. We will call people to follow Jesus because the gospel is necessary. Programs, activities, helping others, it will never be enough Because Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 23 are clear. We are sinners in need of a Savior. You bring your friends here. You bring your family here. You can come with confidence knowing that we will call them to the gospel. Second thing that's necessary. The gospel is necessary. The Bible is necessary. Kind of goes hand in hand, right? With the gospel. Hebrews 4.12, just a couple verses for you to jot down. Hebrews 4.12 says that the Bible is living and active. That it can cut through all of our BS like nothing else. It can cut right to the heart. So we can put up a shield. We can smile and say everything's great. But there's something about the word of God that cuts through all that. And we just go, oh, man, I can't hide it. Okay, we value that. Isaiah 55, 11 says that God's word will never return void. It will accomplish what he sent it to do. And then I love this one. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all scripture... All scripture is breathed by God. Like even the ones we don't like. And there's verses in here we don't like. I mean, maybe, not, maybe you're too spiritual to say that. I'll say it. Like I read some verses and go, I wish that wasn't in there. But even those verses, all scripture is profitable. So it is the number one tool for growing believers in the Bible. It is the Bible. And that means that we teach it. We teach all of it, even the parts that we don't like, even the parts that make us uncomfortable. So three things, right, that are, that are um, necessary if we're going to be necessary. Number one is the gospel. Number two is the Bible. And number three is the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit is necessary if we're going to be necessary. I would even go so far as to say the reason why the church is irrelevant in our society is because it has no power. Like, we preach something that we can't seem to live. We say that we should love each other, and then we can't get along because there's no power. The Bible says we have a form of godliness, but there's no power. So the the power of the Holy Spirit is necessary if we're going to live this out, if we're going to do in the city what God's called us to do. Jesus thought that the Holy Spirit was so important that he actually said it would be good for us if the Holy Spirit, if he went away so that we could have the Holy Spirit. Like, Jesus is the bomb, right? Jesus is the bomb diggity. Can we make a t-shirt? Like if he's that, if he's all that, and he looks at us and says, it's better for you if I'm not here. Like, do what? Like you're Jesus. Yeah, but if I go away, then you'll have the Holy Spirit. So there's something about the Holy Spirit that Jesus thought was amazing. He didn't think the Holy Spirit was non-negotiable. 
he felt like it was necessary as well. It's such a big deal to us. Um, I know you have to wait a few weeks to get to it, but we're going to start 2015 with a series called The Helper, just talking about the Holy Spirit. Because here's what I've found. All of us misunderstand the Holy Spirit, right? I was raised Methodist, and in the Methodist church, I can tell you absolutely we misunderstood the Holy Spirit because we never talked about Him. And then my parents took me from that, like, safe, kind of boring environment to this crazy, wild Pentecostal environment. It was nuts. But I'll tell you what I got out of both those situations, I still didn't understand the Holy Spirit. I knew that there were people that were crazy, (laughs) but I wasn't sure about the Holy Spirit. And so all of us kind of come to the Holy Spirit going, I don't know what to do with this. So I can't answer that this morning, but I can tell you this, at this church, we believe the power of the Holy Spirit is necessary if we're going to be necessary. We are um, an Assemblies of God church. You've heard of Baptist, you've heard of Methodist, you've heard of Lutheran, um, where you've got a Presbyterian, we've got all these denominations down here. We're Assemblies of God. That's a denomination, like it's a legit denomination, it is not a cult. Everybody say, whew. Here's why we're an Assemblies of God church. They are a Pentecostal denomination. But we're not an Assemblies of God church because they're Pentecostal. We're an Assemblies of God church because the Assemblies of God was started as a missions organization. The whole reason that denomination started was so that they could send people out into the mission field to reach people who were far from God so that they could be brought near to God. And that sounds a whole lot like what we're about. Now, I love the fact that the Assemblies of God admits that if we're going to go to the world to reach people for Jesus, we probably need to pay attention to Acts 1-8 where Jesus said, whoa, 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 before you go reach those people, wait and receive the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can have the power to go reach those people. I love that. That's why our sin is a God. If tomorrow the AG called me and said, we don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and we're going to not do missions anymore, we'd be like, okay, we're out. Because that's who we are. Now, when I say Pentecost, <laughs> we're a Pentecostal church. You're like, one of you, some of you are like, we are? And some of you are like, oh, crud. What does that mean? Like, when are we going to break out the snakes, right? Well, I don't believe that snakes are necessary. But I believe the power of the Holy Spirit is. And I know that when I say Pentecost, all of us think of the worst Pentecostal people we ever met, right? Like, I, I can, I mean, some of you watched me grow up at First Assembly. I could name some people that I saw come through those doors, right? That were um, like, oh, dude, if that's Pentecost, I'm out, <laughs> right? We think of the worst possible case scenario. But here's what I want you to know. Here at the gathering. We're not going to shy away from that. We're going to grow in that together. You are going to be planted in the soil of a church that believes that there's power in the Holy Spirit to help us live out the Bible as we proclaim the gospel. Period. We are equipping. So we are necessary and we are equipping um, equipping means that we're a teaching church. That doesn't just mean that we do lots of sermons, right? Because we do sermons and you usually have an outline. And we, we go to a lot of trouble to make sure those outlines are available to you on our website. We take the time each week to write out these questions on the back of your sheet so that you can take those sheets and read through those questions and study them and be prepared when you go to community group. And if you're not in a community group, you can still go through those questions and dig a little bit deeper because our job is to equip you. We are a teaching church. Church. Um, that means we're like Grey's Anatomy, 
right? If you're a Grey's Anatomy fan, they're a teaching hospital in that show. So they've got these young doctors that are trying to figure out how to do medicine and they're being taught by older doctors that know what they're doing and they're making mistakes and they're learning for them and people die. Now here, people won't die, we, we hope, right? But it does mean that if we're equipping you, this is a place where you can grow. You can start to understand your gifts. And the Bible gives, gives very clear scriptures about how we are called to equip in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 13 Paul writes this he says yeah there, there are apostles and there are prophets and there are evangelists there are pastors and there are teachers and that sounds a lot like the platform doesn't it like the, I'm one of those guys this morning I'm a pastor I'm a teacher but he says we're here so that we can equip the body to do the ministry it doesn't mean that we're here because we're like the state workers that never get out of the truck but shout commands to people if I'm on this platform, I'm supposed to be a lead servant. That's my calling. But my, my, my function as your pastor is to equip you. And we don't believe this. And the Bible does leave, give some leeway. How do you figure out how you're going to govern a church? How are you going to lead a church? We, we, you, some of you have been in churches where the pastor had all the power, right? And he made all the calls. And wasn't it fantastic as long as he was in a good mood? But if he was having a bad day... It's not going to go well. You get a bad leader that has all the power, not going to be good. Some of you have been in churches that the leader had no power. The pastor could get up and preach his heart out, and if the body thought it was a bad idea, they just vote it down, right? Some of you have been in churches where the, the, the church voted about everything. We're thinking about installing new light switches. Well, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's have a vote, right? What happens in those churches is nothing gets done. I mean, I could ask you right now, who's the best football team? Scream it out, and you're not all going to yell out Wolfpack. What's, who's got better coffee, Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks? Neither. <laughs> better pizza, Papa John's, Domino's. Better car, Ford, Chevy. What's your favorite breakfast juice, orange, grape? Neither, apple. See, we can't agree on any of this stuff. Somehow we get, this, we get this idea, like, well, but we'll all agree on everything in church. No, we won't. No, we won't. So we believe this in Scripture as an equipping church. How are we supposed to lead the gathering? We believe in what the Bible would term, like, the plurality of elders. And what that means is that there are men who God sets apart as elders to seek God, to see what he would have us do as a church, and then in turn, not just to do those things, but to, to equip the body. That's part of how we equip you, is that I'm not the only one doing it, but there's a team of elders that are equipping the body, that are praying and then equipping community group leaders who are then turning around and equipping the people in their community groups. That's how we equip. Now, we live in America, so everybody likes to have a vote. Not sure that's in the Bible. So here's how we do it at, at, at the gathering. And again, it's important for you to know, okay? It's probably not going to change what happens to you every Sunday morning when you show up, but it's important for you to know how this runs. We believe that not everybody gets to have a vote, but everybody gets to have a voice. I think that's much more scriptural. Um, if you go back in Acts chapter 6, what you'll see is that there was this time in the church's life when it was growing and some people weren't getting fed, some widows were getting left out, and they had a voice. They said, wait, like we're getting left out. And the church leaders didn't go, too bad. Be faster. Get, get in line quicker. Bump people out of the way. And they didn't say, hey, whoa, whoa, we're too busy seeking God, so you're on your own. Figure it out. They, time out. 
And they listened to them because they had a voice. And they said, you know what? Go find people full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. And we'll put them in place where they can help meet that need. And we're going to take care of, the, of seeking God and learning the Word of God so we can keep on teaching and equipping. Everybody's got a voice and everybody has a vote. So here, like right now, we're in the process of that. Right now, you've given us some names for people that you think might be good elders according to the requirements in Scripture. And so we've been talking to those people. We've been interviewing those people. We're, we're doing that over the next month or so. And then eventually we'll come back and we'll say, hey, look, here are the people that, that you, you thought might be good. We've examined them. And we feel like they're a good fit here as well. So we're putting them in front of you. Now you've got a few weeks to kind of let us know, are they, are they scoundrels or not? Like, have they sold you a car that didn't work? Have they cheated you in business? Do they have a good reputation or not? Would you say yes? That they, Man, these guys are absolutely... Is there anything you need to let us know? And that's your voice. That's your part in this. We equip you. You're helping us raise leaders that can then equip you. And then we, we appoint them as elders. That's how it works at the, at the gathering. You're not at a place where we're going to call a congregational vote every time we want to change the color of the wall. We will not have a congregational vote about going from orange to yellow. We will also not be going from orange to yellow. But it will not be up for a vote. There's no need for that. An equipping church for us means that we have men in positions of leadership who would die for this church. And depending on how long elder meetings go, sometimes it feels like we are dying for the church. But we would lay our lives down for the church. And man, when somebody's willing to lay their life down for you, do you trust them? I, I do. Like, if you took a bullet for me, dang. Anything you said, I'd listen to. And when you know that the people leading you are serving you like that, man, you listen to anything they have to say. And when they're taking that position, not to be power hungry and make you do things, but to equip us to do the ministry, and everything changes. Elders equip us, which gives us the confidence to then serve others. Does that make sense? So we're necessary, we're equipping, we're, we're two more. We are authentic. It's my favorite one. I love this word authentic. We are authentic. Um, listen, the world that we're called to reach can smell fake a mile away, can't they? So we value authenticity here. We value that what we say we believe, we actually do believe, and we actually try to do that. Um, does it mean that you have to be perfect to be planted here? Oh, God, I need to ask that again. Does it mean you have to be perfect to be planted here? No, but it does mean that you have to be open to pursuing realness. You've got to be willing to pursue being real. So here's how that works out practically. We have elders, and you decide I want to be planted at the gathering. So guess what sometimes those elders are going to be doing? They're going to have conversations with you. They're going to have conversations with each other. There will be conversations happening in this church about things that we might see in your life. Because it's so critical that we be authentic. So have you ever had a conversation with somebody and at the end of the conversation you got in the car or you went to the bathroom and you looked in the mirror and you realized that for the entire time you've been talking to them you had something right here? It's ever happened to you or it's just me? When, when you discovered it, first you try to get it out, right? And then you stop to think, why didn't they tell me? Why didn't they just like, whoa, dude, time out. Like, you got something right here in your teeth. I don't know about you, but I want to be surrounded by people 
that will tell me that stuff. Don't let me walk out with spinach between my teeth. We value authenticity here. We value that this is a church, the soil of this church is, if we see something, we're probably going to say something. We're not just going to go, eventually they'll look in the mirror and figure that out. Which means you're going to be uncomfortable at times. It means I'm going to be uncomfortable at times. But it means that we're in a family that values being real. Being planted means you don't run away if we say something that you don't like. It means we have conversations instead of arguments. It means you can tell us, and this is really important because at the end we're going to pass out these covenants that we're going to read together. So you can just kind of see what we expect and what you can expect from us. And one of the things that you're going to see that you actually can expect from us as leaders, if you're a, a member, a planted member at the gathering, you can expect that we will equip you to do the ministry that God's called you to do. So you know what that means you get to do if we're being authentic? It means that you could walk up to me at any time and say, Paul, I love you. You're not equipping me. And, and I have the freedom to look at you and go, are you serious? <laughs> And we just work through that. I don't have the freedom to look at you and go, well, you're just not mature enough. Well, you're just not listening. Well, if you love Jesus more, we value being real. It's not just a one-way street. It's a two-way street. Conversation. Conversation. Community is just a fancy word for friction, right? I mean, we make it sound so good and sexy. Oh, you should be in community. What we're really saying is you should be in a room full of people that you do life with together that might every now and then tick you off. Friction. That's what community means, right? People that are in community group. Is that right? Yes. We make it sound so good, though. We value community. We value fighting without gloves. Not really. It's not that bad. Here are two ways that we get authentic. Two ways that we become authentic. One is being in community, and one is being in service. Um, just real quick, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7 says that when we have friction, when we, when we go through struggles, it makes our faith like gold. There's something about that friction that makes us grow. It, it makes us become like gold. Hebrews 10, 24 says that we are to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Spur is not a nice word. It literally means to irritate. So, like, if you ever heard that expression, burr, I've got a burr in my saddle, right? Like, they would put a burr up under the saddle to make the horse go. We're supposed to do that for each other. Come join the gathering where we will spur you to death. <laughs> but that's community. That's community. And the Bible says it's a good thing. We're commanded to spur one another on. Toward love and good deeds. It doesn't mean that community groups are awful. Um, we should have sign-ups right after this, shouldn't we? That'd be great. Sign up for community groups. Um, but here we talk a lot about community groups, and that's why, because it's not so we have another program, another thing for you to do, but because we honestly believe there's no way for us to grow to our full potential as Christians if we're not in community with other believers. Okay? Here's the second way that we become authentic: serving. Serving makes our faith real. Here's why. Because we can say all day that we love people, but they won't believe it if we don't serve them. But when you serve somebody, suddenly they're like, oh, like this guy really does love me. 
We can say as a church, we value feeding hungry people. But it's actually going down to the community table and serving a meal that allows hungry people to believe that we actually value feeding hungry people. Serving makes us authentic. James 1, 14 through 17, warns us, I'm just going to paraphrase, that works, without works, our faith lacks credibility. I'm not going to say that without works, your faith isn't real, but I will say that without works, people won't know if it is or not. They'll always wonder, does he really love Jesus because he doesn't love me? Does he, does he really like to read the Bible? Because like I've read the Bible and it talks about this and he's not doing that. Something about serving makes our faith real. I'm not asking for volunteers. I'm just going to make a couple statements. We love children. And everybody goes, amen. Nobody wants to work in the nursery. See, it just pulls away from the credibility of the statement, doesn't it? We love people. Nobody wants to go hand out food. We, we love to serve our city, but five people show up to do it. I'm not trying to manipulate or make us feel. I'm just making the statement that serving makes us authentic. Like when we serve, however we can serve, it makes us authentic. We, we say this a lot. We're never more like Jesus than when we serve. And then the last one, um, R, we are, this will come as no surprise, we are relational. So we want to be near. We want to be necessary. We want to be equipping. We want to be authentic. And we want to be relational. Um, if you've been here, you know, longer than five seconds, you already know that. Um, listen, we live in a Christian culture that embraces this statement. Go to a handful of churches and belong to none. That's the culture that we live in. Attend a handful of churches but belong to none. And that, does, that short circuits the relational component of what God wants to do in our lives. Um, if we are a lone ranger, then we're not, we're not going to be around people with real faith. And here's what happens. When we aren't around people with real faith, with real faith we'll start to question whether our faith is real. There's something about being around real people that helps us realize our faith is real. You're like, oh, you struggle with that too? So do I. And you work through it together. It makes you feel like your faith is even more real. Everything that we've talked about this morning happens in a relationship. And so I want to close this with this. Talk about how this relationship that we want to have together is a covenant relationship not a contract relationship, okay? Let's just talk through that real quick. Covenant versus contract, and then we'll wrap up. Um, a contract says in the church world, I'll greet you if you greet me, right? Isn't that what you write a contract up for? So I want to buy this car, and I'm going to pay you this money. And if I pay you this money, and you're signing that you're also going to take care of my oil changes for free. You're going to rotate my tires for free for the first three years. I can expect this from you, and I'm going to do this. But if you don't fulfill that, then I'm not going to fulfill this. That's a contract. Contracts are made because we don't trust each other. Right? We actually make contracts hoping the other person will not fulfill it so we can get out. But a covenant says, I'll greet you even if you don't greet me. A covenant says what you do on your end, it's not going to change what I do on my end. Well, 
Paul, I'll give more if you preach better. Well, we're, we're not, we're, we're in trouble, right? <laughs> this is the best I got. That's a contract. Or I'll give more if you'll never preach on, it's a contract. But to say to a pastor, I, I don't care how good or bad you preach, I'm giving. That's covenant. I'm not asking you to, I'm just, those are easy examples. Covenants are what make weddings special, Right? We love weddings because we, we hear the vows and go, man, they really love each other. God, no matter what. I said this a year, a year ago when we talked through this um, at the end of the Planet series. Covenants are what make women love Nicholas Sparks books. Because Nicholas Sparks books and movies are not about contracts. The notebook was not about a contract. The notebook was about covenant. And I'm, I'm going to show up even if you don't know who I am. I'm going to be here. Covenants make weddings special. And we, we would not attend weddings if the vows went like this. Um, I promise to love and serve and honor you as long as you're loving and serving and honoring me. But the first time you don't, I'm out. Nobody's going to a wedding like that. But to hear people say, till death do us part, I'm all in. In sickness and in health. For richer or for poor, the circumstance does not matter because I'm in. That's why we attend weddings. Now, it's a shame that our society has become so cynical that we don't believe that. But still, that's why we attend weddings. It's why you, you watch the Hallmark Channel. And it makes churches special, too. We're almost done. Um, we read this all the time. Let me just close by reading this to you. Paul wrote this in Ephesians. Gentiles eat pork chops. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. He's already been talking about this family environment. He's, he's kneeling before the Father. He's praying for the family. Um, and he says this. We'll start in verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Now I want you to get this, okay? Being planted is important, right? He's asking. He wants you to be rooted and established. That was last week. We talked about this. God wants you to be planted. The answer is yes. This morning we're talking about if God wants us planted, does the soil matter? And he says, God wants you to be rooted and established in love. That's the where part, right? So you better pick a church that's loving. You best pick a church that soil is made up of relationships and redemption. That's, that's what we believe we are at the gathering. Because when you're rooted and established in love, this is what's going to happen. I pray that you would have power, verse 18, together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Man, man, here's what Paul is saying. We want, you to be, we want you to be planted in the redemptive relational soil of the local church. We want you to do that at the gathering. But it's a covenant relationship. We want to close this morning 
by giving you the chance to do just what we talked about. And here's how we're going to wrap this up. We believe without a doubt that where you put your roots will determine your fruit. So if you plant here, what's going to happen is over time, you're going to become this like mini gathering thing, right? Like you'll, you'll look like what we teach. You won't look like me. You've got more hope than that, right? But you'll look like what we teach. The soil here will actually spur you on and you'll grow and you'll begin to value the same things that we value. That's why it's so critical that you plant in the right place. You know, it's a lot of movement behind you. Like they're going to shoot me. They're going to shoot me with guns. Now, here's what they're going to do. Y'all can go ahead and start passing those out. Um, they're going to pass out to you um, a covenant. We just call it our member covenant. Um, we just want you to take one. And then we're going to read through that together. I mean, you're not going to read it. I'm going to read it for you. Just so you can hear, kind of, if you plan at the gathering, here's kind of what, here's what it looks like. Here's what we expect. Um, again, back to what, how we started the service. What I hate is that it's possible that you still have questions. More than likely you do, right? And when we have questions, it leads to conversations. But when I married Wendy, and this is important for you to know, okay? Especially, we'll just close with this Pentecostal story. When I met Wendy, I was the, I was the classic Pentecostal kid. I had a top ten list of qualities that I wanted to see in my wife, right? And at the top of the list, because I was... a Underwear, an AG underwear wearing guy, the top of my list was filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks in tongues. And then I met Wendy and she was Baptist. And I really liked her. And it really jacked up my thinking. Because she was like, uh, I don't do that. Huh. What to do with my top ten list when you didn't even meet number one, right? What do you do with that? And so we'd have these conversations because that's what we value, conversation. And over that time of talking, here's what, here's what we found. God took my list and crumpled it up and threw it away. And he replaced it with one question. He said, ask her one question. Wendy, will you go anywhere God tells us to at any time to tell anybody about Jesus? And she said, yes. And God said to me, is there anything else that matters? Uh, well, what about number eight? No. What about that cooking thing? No. Can she still be hot? Yes. <laughs> Nothing else matters. I don't want to simplify it too much, but look, I'm not naive. I know there's still questions, like, there's always questions. We're always going to be afraid of stuff and commitments. But when you got married, when I stood in front of Wendy and we could exchange vows, I did not know everything about Wendy that I could possibly know. I tried. We asked a lot of questions, but I knew the important things. I knew the soil of our relationship. And so I knew as we go through the years together, she's never going to waver on the answer to that question. When you plant at the gathering, you are basically saying this. I'm all in on a place where I can grow in conversation with believers. Where I can hear things that I don't necessarily understand, may not even like, might not even agree with, and I don't have to go running for the hills. 
where my leaders aren't going to freak out because I don't know and understand what they just said. Where I give my leaders the chance to grow too. That's what you're saying yes to. Let's just do this. Let's read. Let me read for you the covenant that you're holding just as soon as I hold one in my hand. Thank you. Here we go. I'm just kidding. I did that for Laura. Laura can't wait till I wear readers. Anyway, I'm still good. Here's what the covenant says here at the gathering. We just read this verse. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Ephesians 3, 17 and 18. Being a member at the gathering is more family than formal. And yet we understand the power that lies in walking this journey together with others. The Bible recognizes this truth in Amos 3, 3, when it asks a simple question, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Again, that's me saying to Wendy, will you go anywhere at any time to tell anybody about Jesus? Yes. The obvious answer is no, not because we didn't sign a long list of things that we have to do or believe, but because it's just really hard to accomplish things together when we're going in different directions. So being a part of the membership at the gathering, being planted here, really boils down to agreeing with our mission. To live near God through worship and spiritual personal growth. To live near man through fellowship and community. And to make disciples through service, outreach, and intentional relationships. Let me just explain what that means. Near God, near man, making disciples. Those are the, those are the three things we talk about all the time. And, and if you plant here, if you say I'm, I'm all in at the gathering, then you are saying to us, I want that to be my life. I want to be near God, I want to be near man, I want to make disciples. And so we actually have these things that we call mile markers. And so at each of those, there's two at each of those, and we've put those in parentheses. There's things that you do at those levels that help you live those out. And so if you say, I want to be planted here, and I want to be near man, guess what you're going to hear from us from time to time? Are you in a community group? I hate it when they ask me that question. Well, you want to be planted in soil of a church that's relational and redemptive. And so we're going to ask you that question because that's how you live that out. That's what that means, okay? Doesn't mean you have to join one. It just means that we're going to ask you all the time. Our commitment to you as a member, if you're planted at the gathering, our commitment to you is that we will love you deeply. We will equip you fully. We will protect you fiercely. We will walk with you honestly. We take seriously our responsibility to help you discover what you were made for, to equip you for a steady life of service to God and men, and to help you prepare for the day when you will present yourself to Jesus. Our expectations of you, and you can go back and listen to Family Means Were Expected. Um, we talked about six expectations here, there, but here's, what, here's how we said it here. Our expectations of you as a member are more practical than legal. Because each of them are necessary to maintain the relationships that are so valuable in the body of Christ. We expect our members to serve in the church, to pray for the church, to give to the church, to read their Bibles regularly, to love their brothers and sisters in Christ, to respect the authority of church leaders, to attend worship services, and share the gospel with others in word and deed. When we talked in that series about what we expect, we said that we expect them to show, to know, to grow to row, to sow, and to go. That's what these are, okay? We're so excited to see you planted with us at the gathering. Our prayer for you is that your season with us will find you like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. 
Let me just explain to you what your season with us means. We're not looking for people to prick their fingers and sign with blood the covenant for the rest of their lives. But we are looking for people who would say this, at this season of my life, this is where God has me. I have no doubt about it. Because next year could be a different season for you. God could move you to another city. Um, we, we do also feel like it's probably not as simple as going, I don't like the way you dress today, Paul, so I'm out. <laughs> There's more to it than that, right? So when you sign this covenant, that's what you're signing. You're, you're entering into a relationship with us to help you grow, to equip you fully for what God's called you to do. And where we can expect things back from you, that we expect you to serve, to give, to be a part of what we're doing here, to, to invite your friends, all those things, all the practical things that family does. So the way we're going to end this morning is this. Um, I'm going to let, you mind just coming and just playing a little bit? Is that cool? On the piano? <laughs> Kidding. The guitar's good. Just as Phil's playing, I want to give you the chance to, to we're going to just pray, and I'm going to let you take the chance to sign that covenant. And, and if, you're, if you want to sign that today, it's like, how will my life practically change if I sign this covenant? Well, for starters, we're going to know that you're planted here. We're going to know who we're investing in so that we can equip you fully. You're going to know that you have a voice here. Not that we won't listen to everybody, but man, if, if you're planted here and you come to us and say, I've seen this and I need, to get, I need some answers, there's a, that's a different conversation with, than with somebody who came in one week and went, it's kind of cool, but I got some questions. Awesome. But like, we want to help equip you. There's accountability when you, when you sign. On our end to equip you and on your end to grow. It's just conversations. This morning, if you're willing to do that, I'm going to ask you to sign that. And I'm going to ask you to bring it and just place it on the altar. We've given you the rack card with your covenant so you can take that home, so you can remember what you signed. But we're going to ask you to bring the signed the sign, um, covenant and, and just place it on the altar. Now, some of you in here have done this before. Last year, you signed this covenant. Um, we're just asking you to sign it again. It's always good to review what we believe and what we're doing here. So the, the, the now what question to family. How do I get in the family? Salvation is what gets us into the larger family of God. And membership is what puts us into the local family of God. And this is your now what step to being a member here at the gathering. When you're ready, you just come and just place that at the altar. And then we're going to close in prayer in just a few moments.